you know, um, as believers, we can expend a lot of energy with very little fruit because we need to know how to fight the way God wants us to fight. And in doing that, we need to remember that we're not uh, trying to create a victory. We are coming from a victory and we are actually grabbing the spoils and enforcing the fruits of that victory. Because the victory is Christ, it's not ours. You know, in, in ourselves, we can't heal, we can't set anybody free, we can't change any lives. But Christ can. And so we need to know how to fight in the way God wants us to fight, not in the way we might think we, we're supposed to fight. Because like it or not, believers are engaged in a battle minute to minute, day to day, month to month. Week, I miss week to week, but week to week as well. And um, we win. We win. You know, the, the reason we don't win is when we don't do it God's way. It, and, and we don't keep being consistent in doing it God's way. And then we start getting pressurised and pushed back by the world. And um, the way we fight is we don't fight with what the Bible calls carnal weapons or human weapons or logic or reason. We fight with spiritual weapons. Now, that doesn't mean we, we like lose our minds, but it means we have to know what we're warring with. You know, right now, I am warring. I, I'm actually at war right now. As I preach, I am using the weapons that God has given me because I'm using the sword of the Spirit. Amen? Amen. Using the sword of the Spirit. And, and so when we speak, when we preach, when we worship like we did this morning, when we declare, we're waging war and we're winning. We might not see immediate fruit, but we're winning because we're fighting God's way. And, you know, um, one of the things that, that the Bible talks a lot about, it talks about the armour that we have in God. And when we know who we are in Christ, we've got armour with which to fight. Yeah. And, uh, you know, when, when stuff getting us down, when we, like, pressed in, overwhelmed, we know I am a child of God. Yeah. He's there for me. I have everything I need for the victory. Christ is in me. Nothing is impossible to him, and so nothing is impossible to me. Whatever I'm going through, we have the victory at the other side. He's promised that he'll take me through the valley of death and come out the other side. And while I'm in there, he's going to furnish a table for me in the presence of my enemies. They won't be able to eat, but I'm eating. That's who I am in Christ. It's a weapon. It's armor. Yeah. It's a defense, and it's an attack. And, and we have to know how God wants us to fight. Otherwise, we just end up blowing up a lot of energy and achieving very little. Yeah. And, and the trouble is that when we do that, we get tired, we get run down, we get burnt out, we get lethargic, we get apathetic, because we're not fighting the way we're meant to fight. And when we don't fight the way we're meant to fight, the enemy wins. Because the only basis we have for victory is the victory that Christ has already won. Amen? Amen. So... I'm actually going to show you this because, you know, when you read the Old Testament, you don't read the Old Testament in isolation now as a New Testament believer. You read it through the eyes of the New Covenant. You read it through the eyes of what Christ has done. Now, the Old Testament, we know it's, the, the Bible says it's a shadow of what's to come. And that fulfillment was in Christ. So when we look at stories in the Old Testament... 
it's a shadow of what Christ would do. It, it doesn't show us the full thing he was going to do, but it shows us the way he was going to do it and, it, and it foretells it. And uh, I'm not, I'm not going to do this quite the same way as Roger did, I, but I, I, for instance, I'm going to take two weeks on it instead of one. And I'm not going to do... I'm not going to jump about or sing jumping Jehoshaphat or whatever, but we're going to look at the story of Jehoshaphat. Okay? I might get Roger to jump about and sing jumping Jehoshaphat, but I'm not going to do it. Uh, so I want you to turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 20, uh, verse 17. So I want you, I'm going to start in the middle, which is verse 17. And uh, then we're going to look back, because it's... Verse 17 is when they're just about to go into battle. And this is what God is saying to them. And it's what he says to us as New Testament believers. You will not need to fight in this battle. You position yourself, stand still, and see the victory of the Lord, or the salvation of the Lord, because he is with you. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out against them, for the Lord is with you. I want you to see some things in that. Firstly, there's three instructions that we have. Sorry? I'm not using it anyway. Three instructions that we have. Firstly, we... Position ourselves. And then it says, stand still. And then it says, see the victory of the Lord. So you position yourself. How do you position yourself as a new covenant believer? You position yourself, or are already positioned, in Christ. That means the fullness of the Spirit and the power of the Spirit is available to you. And then it says, stand still. Now, that's a bit of a misnomer. You... uh, you should see on the slide behind me that still is in italics. They do that in the Bible when, they translate it, when there isn't a word there that they've translated. So the translators basically put that in because they thought it made sense, you know, made sense of it. Unfortunately, it robs it of some of its power because what that, that the word actually is, is stand ye in all language. It's not stand still, you know, that we're not going to, okay, hit me. It's not that sort of stand still. It's a, like an aggressive standing ready to meet the enemy. It's that sort of standing. Stand ye, stand. And then it says, see the victory of the Lord. Now, I think that's really interesting. You can miss it if you, don't, if you go through it quickly. But when it says, see the victory of the Lord, he hasn't told them to do anything. That comes tomorrow. What he's saying is, to have the victory, you have to be able to see the victory first. We see the things that aren't yet seen so that they can be seen when we exercise our faith for them, when we believe God for them. So he's saying, imagine what it's like to be victorious. Imagine what it's like to be, come through what you're going through. Imagine what it's like to have no pain. Imagine what it's like to have no sickness. Imagine what it's like to, to not be depressed. Imagine what it's like to be free. See it. And then you'll get it. A lot of us wait till we see it before we'll believe it. But that's not the way the kingdom works. The kingdom works that you believe it and then you see it. 
You have to see the things that are unseen. You see them with your imagination. You picture what it's like. And you go, God, that's what I need in my life. God, I'm trusting you for it. God, I'm believing for it. Because you said you would give me the victory and I'm trusting you for it. Amen? Okay, you should get a bit excited. You know, he's God winning. He's on our side. Amen. You know, sometimes we, we get too, like, oh, bogged down with life and we, we fail, fail to enjoy the fact that God is on our side. He's for us, not against us. And if he's for us, who can be against us? We need to believe what we say. Not just say things as believers, we need to believe them as believers and order our life around them. Because I can guarantee you one thing, if we don't believe what we say, we don't order our life around it, in other words, if we don't do what God says, don't do what he tells us to do and how to win, we won't. And the reason that many of believers, you see them up and down this country and everywhere, the reason that they're stuck, bogged down, not going anywhere, overwhelmed, is they're not doing what God told them to do. And they're not believing him for the victory. They're trying to get the victory themselves, and that's a very different thing. I, I sometimes like, sorry, I've gone, I'm not on script at all, <laughs> but I sometimes wonder why why we can refer to ourselves as believers but not believe a thing. You know, we, we say, I'm a believer, but when it comes to it, we just try and do everything ourselves yeah. with, with no supernatural, no faith in it. And that, that's not only frustrating, but it's really sad. So let's go back to the start of the story. Chapter 1, uh, verse 1. Sorry, not chapter 1. We're not going to do 20 chapters. It happened, oh no. it happened after this that the people of Moab with the people of Ammon and others with them besides the Ammonites came to battle against Jehoshaphat. I think most of us at some point, if not this week, well, it probably is this week for most of us, we have a bad case of the ites in our life. We've got the grumpy, miserable bossite. We've got the self-centered friendite. We've got the complaining, moaning spouseite. We've got the crazy, annoying kidites. Whatever it is, you've got them. You've got the backstabbing colleagueites. We've got ites in our life, just the same as he has. We just won't recognize it because there's not a big army lined up on the hill. But there's still victories that we're supposed to be winning. Day to day, week to week. And the way we win those is we win them by doing it God's way. We fight the ites with God. And we do that by doing what he told us to do, which is position ourselves, stand, and see his victory, believe him. Most of us want to sort everything out ourselves. We end up like annoying and getting in a bigger mess because we haven't sorted out the boss ite. And we end up like... Well, we end, we end up as terrible Christians because we're trying to deal with everybody who's trying to deal, stab us in the back because they're stabbing in the back ites. Anyway, that's enough ites. <laughs> but you get the point. So we have lots of things that in our life, but what we want to see is we want to see the kingdom manifest. We want to see God do what only he can do. There's actually no fun in seeing what we can do. 
But there's a lot of fun in seeing what God do, what only he can do. And whatever the situation looks like, whatever's going on, God can change it. And he intends to change it. And the way he changes it is he takes you through it, come out the other side and you get the victory. He doesn't change it by removing it. That's really important. We talked about that before. So let's go on to verse 2. Then some came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria, and then Hazon Tamar, which is Engedi. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judea. I just want you to see that, that Jehoshaphat's reaction to these hordes is to fear. Now, I think there's, there's some people here right this morning who are just stuck in stuff that are afraid to face and they have fear. And I believe that's part of what God is doing, a major part of what God is doing amongst us this morning by his spirit. You see, it's a natural reaction to fear when things are overwhelming. It's a natural reaction to fear when things have gone on for a long time. And what we do at that point, the point of fear, is crucial. What we do when the fear comes determines whether we ultimately get the victory or not. The word um, fear carries this idea of running or taking flight. Fear is a fight, fight or flight reaction. So you've got a choice. You're going to fight or you're going to fly. Flight. Fight or flight, yeah. And a lot of us tend to choose flight. Believers, te- we, we tend to choose flight. If, if we didn't, we'd see more victories. But I, I find it like really sad that we see, um, I guess, so many believers who find a way of dealing with their problems by running from them. Um, you know, it's a, it's a pattern that Cheryl and I have observed for like decades. A lot of believers take the route of trying to avoid having any problems in their life. The trouble with taking that route is that that means that the problems dictate the shape of your life because you're always trying to go around them and avoid them. And, and you know, you, you get all sorts of coping mechanisms. And some people get extreme ways of dealing with, with, with fear and feeling overwhelmed. They, they drink too much. They get angry. They... Um, have shopping therapy, and that's not just restricted to the ladies. Um, they run up debt, just buying stuff to make themselves feel better. Some people cope with stuff by eating too much. They comfort eat. Um, all of a sudden, and, and you know, like, I guess, uh, what do you call it? Duvet time. They just hide under the duvet, or they lose themselves, absorbed in a TV screen or whatever. But we... We, we find ways of not fighting. And the thing is, 
we think we're avoiding the battle and our life is better, but actually what we're doing is we're getting progressively pushed into a corner, pushed into a corner, and our lives get smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. And that's not what God intends. It's not what he intends for anybody. He intends for your life to get bigger and bigger and bigger and freer and freer and freer. And so we can't afford to back out of the fight. But it is a reaction. But it's a reaction that we need to resist. So if we're under our duvet or we're, we're comfort eating or we're drinking too much or whatever, we need, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to walk free of that, to move on and step into a bigger and bigger life and come out the other side of it with the victory. And so... The thing is that, you know when I talked about armour, when the Bible talks about armour, and I'm sure you've heard this before, there is no armour for your back. It's all on the front. There's a helmet of salvation, uh, uh, sandals or footwear of the gospel, there's the, the belt of truth, there's the breastplate of righteousness. They're all on the front. And there's a reason for that, that God doesn't expect a New Testament believer to run. He doesn't expect a New Testament believer to back out of a fight. Why? Because he's already won the fight, so he expects us to enforce it. And when we back out of the fight, we're just letting the enemy keep the stuff that Jesus has already paid for. And we're letting the enemy get into our life when he's got no rights there. The other thing we do is that we, and I, I'm prone to this, so I'm, I'm fessing up now. Is that, is that a word in the South, fessing up? Yeah, you've got that. Okay, I thought it was perhaps a northern thing. I'm fessing up now. Um, we overanalyze our issues. We, we think too much. Um, I guess it, I, I like the way some, I think Joyce Meyer puts it, she talks about this thing called the paralysis of analysis. And I have to say, believers are more prone to that than most other people. Because not only do we have all the, the, the secular things we can read, we have all the Christian stuff we can read as well and analyse it and think it through. And, and, and at the bottom line, when we, when we find ourselves paralysed, analysing, thinking it through, trying to figure it out, trying to work it out, trying to make it happen, trying to sort it, what we're doing is we're saying God isn't enough. That he needs me to sort me out. He needs me to sort my life out. He doesn't need anybody, but you need him. Do you understand that? We need him. And, and we, we, it's almost like our thinking things through becomes an excuse for not trusting him. Because... We become reliant on ourselves. And the trouble about becoming reliant on ourselves is occasionally it works. And we get encouraged and we, we then read our next book about how if we have a plan for our life and schedule our time better and manage ourselves better and lead ourselves better and motivate ourselves better, then we'd have a better life. And five years down the line, we've had a few victories that keep us going. But most of the time, we're just really burnt out, tired, because it's not working. It's a bit like my golf game. 
I've stopped playing now, but it's a bit like my golf game, about three holes per round maximum, maybe less than that, I would be amazing. I would hit the ball and it would go, ah, 250, 300 yards off the tape, amazing. But then I remember why I hate golf, because there's another 15, 16 holes where I'm around in the group and the rough. And for a lot, most golfers, it's that, that one or two shots per round that keeps them going back again. For me, I've stopped. I've realised that the 16 holes is the truth. <laughs> and it's like that when we're trying to do stuff ourselves and we're trying to work it out ourselves. Let's go to verse 3. So Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast in all of Judah. How different would it be if the next time we felt fearful and overwhelmed, our reaction was to seek God? How different would it be? You know... Often our reaction when, when we're, we're feeling overwhelmed and, and stuff is to pick up the phone and ring somebody and, like, dump on them and then let them dump back on you all their ideas. And honestly, if you, if you looked at that in isolation, just take God out of it. Really, the friends that you're ringing up, are their lives okay? Or are we just sharing each, everybody else's problems? You know, we go for advice to people who haven't a clue what they're doing themselves. And, and we, like, talk to them for hours on the phone. And we think that's going to help. Well, they haven't got their life sorted. You haven't got your life sorted. So how's it going to help? You see, the idea is this. You don't go to the phone. You go to the throne. You seek God first. Don't go to the phone. Don't ring up that person that... that it's just in the same mess as you. You go to the throne. The first thing for a believer to do is go to the throne when things seem overwhelming. Yeah. Seek the Lord. And when we do that, we can find out God's battle strategy. You see, one word from God is worth 10, 20, 30, 40,000 words on the phone from your friend. You need to think about that. One word from God is worth 10, 20, 30, 40,000 words from your friend. So why don't we seek the one first? But we have this reaction that we, oh, we bat it about, we complain, we sit at the tea table, we have a moan, we have a this, we trade opinions, trade views, get on the phone, ring our neighbour, ring our parents, ring our kids at university, whatever we do. And yet, so much of the time, we don't go to God. You see, God isn't a last resort when all those things haven't worked out. He's the first resort, so you don't have to do those things. Yeah. We have to get more used to listening to God than we do to a voice on the other end of our mobile. Yeah. Are you getting this? Yeah. Okay. You see, the reason for that is that when God says something to you, Faith rises. And faith in what God has done gives you the victory. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. Faith comes by finding what God has to say on something and believing it. But interestingly, when we find what God has to say on something, it creates faith in us so we can believe it. 
But if we don't do that, we, we find we're trying to put our faith generally in something that's way out there, that's all woolly and fuzzy. And faith doesn't work like that. Faith trusts God to do what he said he'll do. That's all it is, faith. I mean, we can overcomplicate it, but all it is is trusting God to do what he said he'll do and living your life on that basis. Now, the interesting thing about living your life that way is I'm not saying you just do to what God to do what, he's, what he said he'll do, and then when he's done it, you'll step out. That's not faith. That's just like... That's just expecting God to create miracles in front of you as you walk along. Nobody lives like that. That's not faith. That's not trusting God. Because there's no trust required to step into what God has already done. But there is trust required to believe him for what he said he'll do, to then step out with no guarantee except the fact that God has said it, and then see it. And that's what God he's asking us to do. And, and God's kind of frustrating in this because he doesn't tell you it all in one go. I, you know, I, I did a degree in this and we used to, what, some of the stuff I did was, was around project management and we used to have these things called Gantt charts and you had to work out which step had to come before which step and how long each one was going to take and what resource you needed here and there and all that sort of stuff. Um, I think it would be great if God did that. I think it would be fantastic if he just said, that's where we're going. That's step one, that's step two, that's step three. Oh, by the way, you need this there and I've got that sorted. So that's step four. And, and we could just look right down like that. Who would like it if life was like that? Some of you wouldn't like it if life was like that. <laughs> okay. Well, like, that's because you're deep and holy and religious and Christian, isn't it? Because you know that that's not how God wants it. Because God wants actually a relationship where we walk in faith. The only thing that pleases God is faith working through love. So there's got to be an element of faith in it. And that's why God only shows us steps one and two. And maybe when we've got to step two, he'll show us step three. But he doesn't show us all the steps. Because if he shows us all the steps, it requires no faith. And why does God do that? Because he wants us to trust him so he can show us how much he loves us. Are you getting this? Yeah. Answers don't always come straight away. You don't always see the victory of God straight away. In fact, sometimes it can take a long time. But when we're in that place, we don't, I guess if we want to do it Christianese, we don't dig up our seed. You know, if you, if you planted some seed in your garden and you buried it, and uh, you got up the next morning and you don't see anything above soil level and you dig your seed up again to have a look at it and not a lot's happened. Then you put it back in and again and you cover it over soil. If you kept on doing that, you'd never see anything because you're digging the seed up again that you've already planted. Faith requires us to trust God, see the victory and wait for the victory as we stand with him. You see, there's something about God that says, when you don't know what to do in a situation, do what you know to do. 
When you don't know what to do, keep on doing the things I've already told you to do. So when we don't know what to do in a situation, what do we do? We trust God. We do good. We help others. Whatever the situation is, whatever the outcome is, until we see the victory, until we see God show us what to do, until we see that, 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 that next step, what do we do? We trust God, we do good, we help others. That's what God told us to do. So we keep on doing that. When you don't know what to do, you do carry on doing what you do know to do. Until you know what to do. And that, that's kind of, I don't know, there's something about God that, I, I once went um, on one of these shooting experience days, <coughs> paid for by the, one of these rich merchant bank things, you know, where you go and have champagne and then you're expected to shoot things without actually killing a human being. And, um, and strangely, on the, on the stationary target stuff with the archery and things, that was rubbish. But if you gave me a moving target with one of them shot blast things that covers a massive area, I could hit it. And that's, that's a funny thing that God has this thing. He's rubbish with stationary targets. He's brilliant at hitting moving targets. And so we don't just stay stationary. Standing isn't about being stationary. Standing is doing what we know to do until we receive further instructions. God hits a target when we're trusting him, doing good and helping other people. God hits a target when we don't know what to do. We carry on doing what we do know to do. He'll hit it every single time. He doesn't hit it if we put the barking brake on and moan. Because it gets us right out of faith, right out of trusting him. Let's go on a bit further. Verse 5. Well, I'll go from 4. So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord, and from all the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord. Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven and do you not rule over the kingdoms of the earth? And in your hand is there not power and might so that no one is able to withstand you? Are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend forever? And they dwell in it and have built you a sanctuary in it for your name, saying, if disaster comes upon us, sword, judgment, pestilence or famine, we will stand before this temple and in your presence, for your name is in this temple, and cry out to you in affliction, and you will hear us and you will save us. Yeah. What are they doing? What do we do when uh, we're in that battle? What is it that they, they are doing here? They are... In a sense, they're saying, if we had, they're going through, Jehoshaphat has got them going through, this is what we do when we've got a problem. And it's almost like, if we've got a problem, this is what we do. What do we do? We cry out to God. We talk to God about it. First thing. First thing we do, we cry out, we talk to God. This is where we're at, God. And then uh, we remind ourselves who God is. He is a great and mighty God. He's always come through for us. His promises are faithful. His love endures forever. His regard to us is everlasting. His mercy 
is greater than anything that we, we, we could ever need. We remind ourselves who God is. And then what we do is we, say, we, we declare that you will have the victory, God, because you are great and mighty. Yeah. So we cry out, we remind ourselves who God is, and then we declare his victory, knowing that he is a great and mighty God, and we will see his victory. What are they doing? This is, how, this is a real key to us winning the battles, to ha- us having victory. What are they doing? They are talking to God and they are talking to themselves. We don't just talk to God in prayer. We talk to ourselves. You know, David's always doing it. He, he, David calls it strengthening himself in the Lord. He stirs up his soul. And the way he stirs up his soul is he speaks directly to his soul the truths that are true. He tells himself who God is. He tells himself who he is in, in, for us, who we are in Christ. He tells himself that he has an, he's a new creation. His past is done with. He can walk forwards into a different future. He's got life. He's got the dynamic power of God working through him. And we tell ourselves like that. And we say, and we say I will have the victory. We will see the victory because my God is great and mighty and he's on the scene. And I remember when he won this victory. And I remember when he did that. And I remember when he healed that person. And I remember when he delivered that person. And we call it up. But a lot of us, we miss that second part. We talk to God, but we have to talk to ourselves as well. We have to stir up the gift of the spirit that is within us. Are you with me? Because I'm nearly done. Let's go to verse 10 to 12. Now here are, the peop- here are the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, but they turned from them and did not destroy them. Here they are rewarding us by coming to throw us out of your possession, which you've given us to inherit. We have an inheritance from Christ that the devil tries to usurp yeah. from us or not get us to... To, to use he, he, he comes to steal he comes to steal the inheritance that's what these guys are doing here they're coming to steal what is rightfully yours we possess the victory of Christ he has provided healing he's provided freedom from uh, poverty he's provided deliverance he's provided forgiveness of sins he's provided new life he's given us a new heart he's made us new creations he's died for us and he rose again to give us life that's who he is. That's, that's our possession. They had a physical land. We have a, 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 a spiritual possession called the kingdom and the kingdom is on the march and the kingdom is on the rise. And the devil is trying to stop it and he's trying to steal it. And so when we get to verse 12, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that's coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. There's the victory before it ever happens. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. We release the power of God in our life when we realize we don't know what to do and he does. 
That's called standing in grace. We know that he's promised us that he's given us everything we need for life and godliness. When we admit we don't know what to do, we step into grace. Now, you might remember when I, I preached on, taught on Romans, there is no provision for a believer outside grace. And when we try and sort things ourselves, we step out of grace into works, to self-dependency, from God-dependency. There is no supernatural provision in self-dependency. So somehow, we have to get ourselves back into God-dependency. Paul calls that standing in grace. The grace in which we stand. That's where the provision of God is. That's where the victory that Christ has won is. Is We don't know what to do, but God knows what to do. According to theology, you might, you might know this verse... Um, I haven't preached on it for a long time, but God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. What are the proud? Proud people are people that believe that they can exist and sort things without God. Humble people recognise that they have God in them and rely on him. Humble people know who they are. You know, humble isn't about being miserable or Uriah Heap is, I'm ever so humble, sir, or false humility or, or just being downtrodden and, and weak. That's not humility. That's just not knowing who you are in Christ. Humility is about having a straight assessment of who you are, not believing you're more than who you are or less than who you are. It's knowing who you are. And who are you? You are a child of God. You are seated with Christ in heavenly places. You have the righteousness of Christ. You have total forgiveness. You have the life of Christ in you. You have an inheritance with all the saints. You are a, a, a brother of Christ himself or a sister of Christ himself. You were adopted into the family and the whole family is standing there right with you. That's humility to know who you are. And know that you didn't do any of that. That Christ did it for you. But you now stand in it and know I have the victory. Because the family's here for me. That's how it works. He gives grace to the humble. And the humble knew, know who they are. So they stand in grace. The reason he gives grace to the humble is the humble stand in grace. Not in their own efforts. The humble know they are dependent on God. Not weak and dependent on man. That's, that's how it works. Now let's finish with this. Go to verse 15. And he said, listen, all you of Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem and you King Jehoshaphat. Thus, so this is God speaking. So I'll put a deep voice on. Thus says the Lord to you. Thus says the Lord to you. To you. Not Israel, now he's talking to you. Thus says the Lord, 
Do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Go back one verse. See what, what's happened. Why has God come on the scene? They recognized that they couldn't do it. They don't know what to do. Our eyes are upon you. What happens? Then the Spirit, then the Spirit of the Lord came. For us as believers, we the Spirit of Christ is one with our spirit, but it's released to do the miraculous in our life when we recognize our dependence on Him, when we stand in grace. And so the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah. He used to just come, it's in the Old Testament, the Spirit of the Lord used to just come on one person, not wholesale like it does for, for us. The son of Benaiah, the son of Jehiel, the son of Mataniah, I wish I hadn't read this, a Levite of the sons of Asaph in the midst of the assembly. And he said, listen to you, old Judea and inhabitants. Thus says the Lord, don't be afraid nor despaired because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours but God's. So tomorrow go down against them. We cannot win any battle without the Spirit of the Lord. So why are we so intent on ignoring his activity in the church and in our lives? Why is it that the enemy wants the spirit out of the church? Because he doesn't want you to know that that same spirit that you can't now see at the front of church on a Sunday morning isn't operative, is operative in your life. Because he wants you not to rely on the Spirit of God, but to work, rely on your own dead works. To try and win the battle. Because he's in the business of killing, stealing and destroying, and Christ is in the business of victory and giving of life. And it's the Spirit that gives life. Amen? Amen. Amen. The victory is won by the Spirit. You have the Spirit. He's here. He's present right now. And that means now we go down to victory. Just like they did. Let's stand. Can I have um, musicians? You know, we've um, already done some ministry, and I, and I said we would come back to this because I believe that God hasn't finished with what he wants to do. And what I want to do specifically now is that I believe that there's some people that are either suffering, um, what's the word? Suffering either in their thinking, they're depressed, feeling overwhelmed, feeling like they can't cope. But for some of you as well, that feeling, that, 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 that those fear things, those senses have been overwhelmed, been anxious, then that's also manifesting physically as well. It's giving you physical problems. There's a connection between the two. And you might not recognise that. You might just go, I'm... I'm I'm not feeling well with this, so I've got this physical problem. 
and I'm anxious, or and I feel overwhelmed, and I'm depressed, or I'm feeling down. And so I want to bring together all the things that have been said to m- this morning. And if, you, if, if those sort of things hit the target for you, then I'm firstly, I'm going to believe that you've already got a measure of victory, if not total victory, by what God did before. But just to, just to enforce and give the devil a good kicking, we're going to pray for you as well. Because there's nothing better than giving him a good kicking, is there? Getting rid of the enemy out of our lives and out of this place and out of our families and out of our church and out of our relationships and out of our bodies. Amen? Amen. So if you want prayer for that, then, then, then come on down. Uh, we're going we're gonna to worship God. Uh, we're going to be no longer slaves. Yeah, no longer slave to fear because I believe that some of those physical things are connected to fear and anxiety and uh, sort of depressed, anxious conditions. Does that make sense? Right, okay. So if you want prayer, you come down now. Have the prayer team.